Welcome to this episode of Another World is Potable. My name is Peter Bloom, and get ready to emancipate your mind and radically expand your imagination as we present all the most exciting and revolutionary possibilities of our times, both locally and globally. I hope you enjoy it, and as always, solidarity today, tomorrow, and forever. Hi, welcome to a new season of Another World is Potable. Um, our first guest this uh, season is someone whose work I really, really think is at the cutting edge of things and who I've always enjoyed reading. And I always think whenever I read um, his work, I always learn something, which you can't always say from everyone. Um, I never not read Gavin's work and think afterwards, oh, I've thought of all that before. It's always something that makes me think. And so I'm really excited to have him on as the first guest of uh, our second season of Another World is Potable. It's Dr. Gavin Mueller. Um, so Gavin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Um, so in a way, I mean, I don't even know where to start because you, you know, you're a very prolific academic, but you also do a lot of editing of very important kind of uh, more left-wing magazines. Um, you're also an activist. So I thought we could maybe just have a start. Like, what is your kind of intellectual and political background? And what's the kind of inspirations for all the different things that you do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. Um, well, I think, um, you know, my first kind of love or sort of intellectual passion was, I, I guess, what you would call kind of uh, uh, cultural criticism. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in the Midwest and, and, and it often felt a little provincial. Um, so, so my, my kind of outlet to the wider world was, uh, you know, the, 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 the art movie theater and, 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 uh, sort of more underground music, things that felt like a, a bit of an escape from, uh, what seemed a kind of, uh, almost oppressive kind of mainstream uh, uh, kind of bog standard and middle brow culture that I was exposed to. Uh, so um, uh, it was only later, um, which is, I think is a moment in history when, later when I, when I became a little bit more politicized uh, during the George W. Bush presidency um, with, and uh, uh, the, the, the wars and, and everything that, that happened then. Uh, I was older, of course, and paying a little bit more attention. Uh, and I also started, uh, you know, uh, having to work uh, uh, during that time as well. Uh, that, you know, I started thinking about um, or and, and getting more interested in uh, um, thinking about politics, thinking about the economy, thinking about how the world worked. Uh, and eventually uh, was sort of able to try to split the difference and, and try to, uh, you know, could I, could I talk about, uh, you know, popular culture and politics in the, in the kind of same, uh, in the same conversation? Uh, could, I, could I take uh, something that, as simple as, uh, you know, a, a DJ mix or, or, uh, or, or a, even a, a mainstream Hollywood film and, and kind of pull out something, some kind of observation about, uh, you know, the world of work or, or um, uh, you know, how, um, you know, how uh, race and identity are playing out in a contemporary way. I, I think th this kind of writing is actually uh, more and more common uh, now and, and people even make fun of it. But uh, there was a moment where I felt like I couldn't get enough, I couldn't get enough of it and I wanted to contribute something there. And really, I mean, the, the motivation is to 
Uh, I mean, it's a kind of basic one to, 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 to see that the world around you is not just a, a random assortment of things, but is, is connected to a much, these much larger systems. And that we can learn about these systems, you know, of course, through abstract study, but we can also learn quite a lot and contribute quite a lot to understanding them by observing the, the things that are around us, the kind of more everyday uh, kind of phenomenon. Uh, I think that's maybe um, if I could kind of, you know, put a put a cap on my my sort of overall perspective. I think that's kind of it. That the these textures of everyday life really are a kind of uh, a way into understanding um, the, these kinds of much more abstract, larger uh, sort of uh, systems of, of 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 domination, control, and 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 potentially liberation. Right. Um, it starts with with, mm -hmm. with what's around us. It's it's interesting that you know I think about all the different types of media that's available now, and just picking up on that before getting to I mean, you're really insightful work on this, just because you've worked in a range of different mediums on this, not just as someone who analyzes it, but actually I think tries to use it for social change. I mean, if you think about and now I'll show my age, growing up in the 80s and 90s in the U.S. and really I mean the only way you would sometimes hear about a punk band, for instance, even one who was in your town was from a random fanzine, mm -hmm. right? And now you have things like Jacobin in which you could be a 15 year old and, you know, read something on the internet that I think really does allow you to have a deeper and more viable class consciousness of the world. I mean, so do you think that in a way, we are seeing already with media and some of the stuff you're doing is that people in general are starting to view everyday culture and media, not just as entertainment, but as something that has a political and cultural effect. Yeah, right. absolutely. Um, I, and there's a, there's a, a variety of reasons for this. I think, I think one, exactly what you point to is this stuff's much more accessible. I mean, if I, I'm, we're probably around the same age. I grew up in the eighties and nineties and, uh, uh, you know, if I wanted to read radical left-wing stuff, uh, you know, I didn't, wouldn't know where to go to find it. Uh, those, those were not really perspectives that were, were very open to me. And you would you know, maybe catch flashes of it if you had some kind of connection to underground cultures like punk or something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, but there was nothing sustained, right? Um, so, yeah, I think, I think things like all the, the left-wing magazines and publications we have now, I mean, they, I, are having an effect, right? We know from from all sorts of polling that, that basically in in the U.S. and in many other uh, uh, sort of um, Western countries, you know, we're looking at basically everyone under forty is some kind of considers them a left themselves a leftist to some extent, right? Or or opposes capitalism mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, I, I started teaching college students in uh, 2005 uh, in Ohio. And now, it, you know, sometimes it was struggle to get them to kind of be critical of things. Now, um, you know, most of my students claim to be socialists, right? Uh, which is like a, mm. just a huge, huge sea change. So yeah, I think the availability is part of it. I think, um, you know, we have, of course, larger kinds of uh, uh, dynamics, you know, a much uh, uh, more difficult economy post-financial show crisis, the financial crisis itself, right, was a kind of uh, delegitimized, I think, uh, um, the, the way the economy runs for quite a lot of people in a, in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, but I do think also you have a kind of interesting phenomenon where people who are creating these texts are more and more, um, you know, deliberately incorporating 
uh, kind of political messages in them, right? You had this kind of wave of sort of um, uh, young adult insurrectionary entertainment, right? Like, um, um, uh, now I can't think of the name of the, the, the book series with uh, uh, Katniss and... Uh, Oh, <laughs> Hunger Games, Games, yes, of course. Yes, Hunger yes, Games, yes, and, yes, and there's yes. a there's a variety of all these like you know now dystopian fiction, right? Is like a kind of uh, is mm -hmm. almost uh, too, there's too much of it now. I mean, it used to be my yes. favorite, like one of my favorite like little niche uh, science fiction genres, and now it's it's basically all everything is is dystopian now, um, or <laughs> yes. or it's or it's you know some kind of retro thing. Um, but I think that, I mean to me that's that's. Uh, interesting, I, and I have I have some uh, somewhat vague thoughts about it. There is I do think there's a there's a um, you know it's not as simple as like a co-optation of of a kind of radical energy, but but I think it's a recognition that um, that those kind of messages, those kinds of themes, right, of fighting the system, of of oppression, of of um, uh, taking political action are, are are things that people are thinking about and are foregrounded a lot more in our entertainment than than they were maybe even uh, 10, 10 mm. 15 years ago. Um, I, and uh, you know, I, I I have complicated feelings about it. I, but I'm, I'm in general, I, I kind of I view it as symptomatic, right? We're we're living through a time of mm. of kind of increasing um, politi politicization, uh, increasing. Uh, uh, you know, people moving away from uh, kind of establishment views of the world, establishment mm. forms of politics. Uh, and you see mm. the reverberations of that in kind of popular culture. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think one of the, the shifts that I have seen is from the early 2000s, a movement of talking about the symptoms mm -hmm. of things such as like imperialist mm -hmm. wars to now, I think there's a much more systemic view. I think we're still in a point of the kind of interagym where I think a lot of the students, at least I teach, are still trying to figure out what comes next. But this is precisely why I, you know, I wanted you to, I wanted to have you as the, the first guest of the new season, um, which is what I like about your work, though, is that you've taken a lot of these cultural critiques. You've looked at these in a, in a very serious way, but you've kind of gone in an interesting direction that I wouldn't say is unique, but I would say is not, is one that, you've done extremely well and I think there needs to be more of, which is you've looked at things like media piracy and community tech cultures and looked at them not just from a sociological perspective or from a political perspective, but as an example of 21st century mm -hmm. labor. So I'm kind of interested how you went from cultural studies and this to something that was actually a much more, and if I, if I can be fair, a, a really, really sophisticated willingness to get into how things like hacking and media piracy are forms of not just work, but particularly new types of value creation. Um, and why do you think that's important for yeah, us? Yeah, okay. Um, I think uh, when, when I was trying to kind of grapple, you know, in my, my academic work, is how do you study, what's, what's like the best approach to take when you study um, cultural objects, right? Um, I was really interested in, uh, in in underground music in my early part of my graduate work. Right? How what what approach do you take? Do you look at you know how things are represented in the text? Do you look at the dynamics of the texts themselves? 
Um, and increasingly, I kind of settled on an approach that, that seemed like a good one to me, as, as I was also reading a, a, a lot of, of Marx and Marxist theory. Marx starts his analysis of capitalism with the commodity and, and expands that to, to, to how it's produced, right? Um, and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a, maybe a way to think about culture is not just, um, you know, a, a form of representation or, or something that people consume, but it's also something that people make. Right. There's a there's an entire process of production there. And well, what's that like? Uh, so in my master's work, uh, I I went to to DJs and producers and I talked to them about, you know, what their strategies were, how they approach things. Um, and it was really interesting, uh, you know, I got to see the, the technology they use, their relationship with technology, um, how they, you know, kind of strategies they came up with because, you know, this is underground music, but they were, they were also interested in, you know, achieving a certain kind of success. Uh, but, but also, um, you know, I, I noticed and I, they kept telling me as well. Um, and actually some of them were asking me because they were a bit older than me and I, they thought I had some kind of special knowledge of this. Or they, the internet's doing something, you know, we're, you know, my fans were so local. I was, I was doing field work in Detroit and it's a very Detroit based um, kind of music scene. Uh, but, but they're like, yeah, I have all these fans in New Zealand. I have, you know, what's going, you know, so I think, I think this is going to be big for us or something like that. You know, this is, this is the mid 2000s. And and I was like, yeah, there there is something really going on with with um, you know the internet and how cultural work is being transformed um, in a variety of ways. Um, and at the same time, there was a really interesting body of scholarship that was kind of coalescing that was um, how the internet, particularly how the internet as it was transforming into its of this sort of uh, uh, sort of data extraction based on you know kind of continuous surveillance that's turned into sort of data for advertisers, right? Um, as hmm. uh, you know, what how this this is like a this is how the internet economy is is transforming, and and it's um, and so increasingly people are thinking about well if if our activity on these spaces are creating value. Right. It's also a kind of work. And I just found that very generative and and later discovered an entire kind of history of 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 thought, uh, mm. uh, not always academic, sometimes often more connected to kind of activist cultures and movement, social movements that really looked at at capitalism as uh, not something contained in a formal workplace, but something that was constantly pushing beyond that workplace to impose kind of work like relations uh, and in a variety of sectors, right, to to rationalize not just, you know, what you did on the clock, uh, but to transform all sorts of activities uh, into something valuable. And to me, this was this was kind of unlocked a, a key here um, to me that that um, it's a key to understanding the relationship of the Internet and capitalism, and particularly the Internet in our contemporary kind of neoliberal moment, which is a, a kind of. Uh, a, a, you know, a sort of massive machine that is able to, um, to uh, it, you know, dictate our, our activities or, or construct environments to control behavior, um, to, to make our activities a source of value, right? There's some debate over whether it constitutes labor in a strictly Marxological sense, but I, I think I'm, I'm settled on thinking about it as at least labor-like. So, 
Um, but I wanted to go beyond that because to me, the, the, the kind of the uh, traditions of Marxism that I think I found most compelling, there's a, a variety of them. You know, you could be a kind of um, like a Perry Anderson, you know, view from 5,000 feet of global history. You know, you can be a, like a hardcore, um, you know, economist, right, where you're, you're pulling out, you know, um, algebra and, and things like that. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, uh, trajectories or, or, or fields of, within Marxism. What was really the most compelling to me, and I think also matched up with my um, sort of interest in uh, kind of everyday life, or the, the things that focus not just on, you know, uh, capitalist commodities and, and, and uh, technologies and work processes, but the, the struggle itself, right? Because I kind of, my engagement, I came out with my engagement with Marx is saying, this is what was really interesting to him. Right. There's a, you know, he covers quite a lot of things. Right. But but the point is that 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 these dynamics he's describing of capitalism lead to um, significant social struggles. Right. And so so if mm. the Internet is a space for creating value. Um, and, and, and all these mechanisms of control that have been detailed so much that it's actually a kind of common common kind of conversation topic, right? That everyone knows social media is spying on us and ruining our lives and all these things, right? Mm. Um, so if, if it is this kind of machine, what are the struggles, right, um, against it? And, and that's what kind of led me to my work on thinking about piracy. Um, because, uh, mm. so it seemed, on the one hand, it seemed like a struggle, right? A clear struggle against private property. Many people have analyzed it in that way, but it also it didn't seem so straightforward to me. Um, and so in in my uh, dissertation, which I turned into my first book, I was really trying to capture piracy. I didn't want to kind of lionize it as, you know, this is the struggle, right? This is, you know, we're going to, you know, this is our means to victory. Um, I think by the time I was writing it, it was clear that that's not the case. Um, but I also I, I, I also wanted to think about what what kind of what became productive, right? Productive for capitalism out of um, out of these moments, out of these struggles. Right. Um, and this is, you know, capitalism struggles are against capitalism can often uh, provoke a kind of restructuring of how capitalism works. And sometimes it can actually, uh, you know, provide this kind of uh, um reinvigorating um, of, of capitalist accumulation. And I saw something something kind of like that emerging in the wake of the massive struggles over file sharing and, and other forms of media piracy, mm -hmm. where you have um, you know, something that began as a clear antagonism, an effort from underground computer, like uh, computer-based cultures to uh, kind of control their own space to fight against commodification, right? Um, at the same time, was not ever totally hostile to to uh, uh, you know capitalism top to bottom, um, but but also became the kind of fulcrum for a, a total restructuring of how how entertainment, how media is consumed online. Um, so how do they, how do you ultimately beat the pirates, right? Well, they tried a variety of ways. They tried to sue them. They tried to, um, you know, block their sites or, or make them harder to find. Um, and that had some effect. But the thing that really kind of crushed it, right, 
Uh, I love when people um, criticize. I always see these these kind of messages on on social media. The Zoom problem with Zoomers, man, they don't know how to pirate. Uh, I always feel like, ah, oh, okay, millennials do have like a, a redeeming quality, but why don't they? It's because they don't have to, right? Like I had to work hard to find music, uh, underground music, you know, in in when I was buying CDs yeah. uh, as a as a teenager, but also, you know. When when it when it was easy to download, right? There were, there were a few moments where it was simple, but it was generally took some skill. Mm -hmm. And now you you can go on YouTube and you can find more than than ever before, or Spotify. These streaming environments were a kind of way mm -hmm. to um, get around uh, the threat of piracy, the threat that there could be a kind of independent and non commodified um, exchange of culture, right? Uh, you know, and it. For for most people, YouTube seems free, right? And you or Spotify, maybe you have you spend the 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 very small fee, right, to 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 get the ads taken out. But but what that does is it makes your listening uh, and your consumption habits valuable. Uh, it turns out not very valuable to the artists who actually you know <laughs> make the effort to make mm. the music. Valuable in in, sure. in large aggregates to these companies, right? That. Um, can have data and, and try to serve you ads based on that. Um, so, so to me, this kind of streaming environment and and uh, is actually a kind of response, this kind of capitalist restructuring to a threat. Um, and in fact, some some people involved in the streaming economy say this overtly. Um, the 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 head of of Spotify, Daniel Ek, you know, got his start he, before he was CEO of Spotify. He was CEO of uh, of of Utorn, he was a he was basically a this kind of in this kind of gray mm -hmm. market area where he um, yeah and and was very overt that the business model of Spotify was like we're going to transform um, this kind of piratical activity uh, into a new kind of audience right this kind of data producing value producing audience uh, and and so far you know that's that's where we are um, I don't think it's a static uh, um, uh, kind of situation. Um, obviously, artists hate Spotify. Uh, there's many problems with this kind of um, mm. kind of model. But but yeah. So that's that's. I wanted to see the the, the dynamism. I didn't want a, an easy narrative. I wanted to see uh, see piracy as a kind of mm. a roving contradiction right through digital capitalism. And and I think it's kind of interesting um, before kind of getting to the current work that you're doing on this. Um, which I think all of uh, many of us uh, are eagerly awaiting in, in particular, because I think you are taking a really important um, and, and if I can be simple, provocative uh, approach, but is looking at the different ways in which people has engaged with this technology. So, I mean, if you wanted to maybe just give us a bit of a narrative, because you have been studying this for so long, that it, it seems to me that in the early 21st century, there was a lot of excitement about these technologies and a lot of willingness to upskill and learn more about them. Well, on the other hand, now, it seems to me this really interesting dynamic in which people accept that they're colonized by these technologies and yet at the same time kind of have embraced the convenience of this colonization, mm -hmm. right? So there's a certain way in which, you know, you hear on the one hand, oh, well, you know, we're so exploited by social media or even things like my phone always beeps, so I'm a 24-7 worker, to I couldn't live mm -hmm. without Netflix or Hulu, right? Um, and, and, and I find that quite interesting about, you know, there's, as you said, like 
there's easy narratives one can tell about this, but I'd be very interested in your view about kind of how this went from in the early 21st century. And obviously we're speaking about very particular contexts as well, because I think it's also important to recognize that like in places like China in places like Central Africa, for instance, there's a very different thing happening in terms of hacking and power, right? But just in terms of the conversation we're having, like what did you see in terms of this narrative, you know, in terms of this kind of movement in the early 21st century where you had DJs telling you, we don't really know mm-hmm. what this is, but something's happening to now only 15 years later, we've kind of come immersed in an economy that is as capitalist as ever, but completely transformed in terms of how people engage with it and how people engage with information and technology. Yeah, um, it's, that's a, that's a really, it's a really interesting subject. And it, I think it does, it is something I think about uh, quite a lot. I mean, on the one hand, you've always got certain kinds of anxieties around the introduction of new communications technologies. But what you have with uh, the internet um, is uh, because it's such a, this massive source of investment, uh, you know, you really have for quite a long time sustained kind of media hype about what's going on in these comp- with these companies, how they're going to change the world, um, making celebrities out mm. of the CEOs. You know, we, what other industry do we know all the name, the names of all the C- major CEOs of all the major companies, right? Um, mm. And um, and a, and a real kind of excitement there, and and this is an excitement that's led by kind of. Um, popular cultural commentators who have, you know, who position themselves as, you know, uh, uh, as liberal or even radical uh, people who are talking about how the internet will disrupt mainstream media uh, and will improve participation and access and open things up. And there's a there's something to that narrative. I mean, we've already talked about how, you know, you, the the access to different kinds of information and media are is is really unprecedented and, and hard to downplay. And if you lived through that moment, if you lived through a prior moment, um, I always explain to students, you know, like I had to, I was stuck with what was on the radio, right, and uh, that was it, right, and and, and to go beyond that it took took significant uh, time and 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 money to to get beyond that. And now there's. There is nothing, you know, there's nothing kind of holding you back in that way. Um, so uh, so I think living through that transformation, there was a kind of optimism there. There was and this is this was also connected to to what we're talking about, the, the kind of the, the 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 activity that people are doing, the what's often called participation. Right. Uh, that that becomes this kind mm-hmm. of source of of producing value becomes for some people the, the actual work we do uh, for these companies is unremunerated work um, is you know is also you know likened uh, from from a very early uh, early period as 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 actually kind of democratic right. You, you aren't a passive consumer, right? You're mm-hmm. contributing, you're doing something. You can leave feedback. You can have your voice be heard. You can connect with others in new ways, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it really reaches a kind of um, apotheosis uh, around the time of the Arab Spring, where now we're seeing, wow, like people are coming together, social movements are taking down these repressive governments. And... Uh, and 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 you know we, we are, it's validating all the things that so many um, scholars and pundits and 
and uh, kind of uh, hacker talking heads from the, the first decade of the 21st century uh, were saying, right, now we have like visible proof, right? The, this is actually a progressive revolutionary kind of force, not just in terms of, of media consumption and things like that, but, but actually in politics, right? Um, and where you see a kind of turn mm -hmm. beginning, uh, there were, of course, always dissenting voices, and, and I try to, in my work, always acknowledge them because uh, they're, they're important, especially important when that's not a, a prevailing kind of perspective. But where you see a turn mm -hmm. is, you know, first in the aftermath of those revolutions where, um, you know, where actually mm. uh, in several of these um, situations where you have mass protests take place, uh, you actually have the, the 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 same social media that's allowing um, these massive street demonstrations, or or at least um, uh, accelerating them. Um, it's easy to downplay the existing political infrastructures that were already uh, in place in these countries that were also very vital in those movements. But uh, but the same social media that allowed people to very quickly and very effectively communicate to the outside world, to organize protests, to, to create subversive messages is also used by these governments to track down those same activists uh, and, and prosecute them. Um, so mm. people who were paying close attention realized that there was another side that, you know, the 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 elections, uh, I'm sorry, the, the yeah, the, well, in, in Egypt, the elections didn't really work out for the kind of, um, you know, these these liberal uh, social media savvy young people. Right. It was the Muslim Brotherhood who won. And then um, there was a, a, the military reestablished control mm. after that. Um, but I think the real turn. Uh, against social media or against the kind of uh, digital in, in general happens in uh, in the wake of of Trump and Brexit, uh, where you know it's these these kind of um, highly un unanticipated outcomes uh, for many people. What's the what went wrong? Right? How did this happen? Uh, the mm. the variable that many people settle on is the use of uh, of social media dis as, a, as a vector for disinformation, as a vector for, um, you know, shadowy kind of right-wing organization and, and those kinds of things. So I think you really see a turn um, at that moment. A lot of the optimism is gone. By 2018, uh, the, 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 the word of the year is uh, deemed as tech-lash, Right, this backlash against against tech, so it <laughs> becomes a much more widespread popular mm -hmm. antipathy um, to it. Uh, um, so um, I, I don't know if that gets quite at the yeah. yeah. No, I I think it does. I mean, I think why? Um, so one of the really cool things that you've done in your work, um, which is Breaking Things at Work, which is coming out next mm -hmm. year, um, and I'll let you get more into this, um, is the fact that I actually, it, it, you know, and, and I'll share with you, like, view some of the narratives around technology as being ironically very much still stuck in a modernist 20th century mindset, where I like a lot of people on the left kind of almost internalize the Hollywood ending where, it was almost like, if we just reveal all the information about mm -hmm. things, then things will change. Or, um, you know, if we could just use social media to organize and overthrow regimes, then things will change, right? And 
what happens is precisely what you've kind of said is that I think there becomes a, an incredible disappointment when you realize that first of all, you can change, you can release all the information about how people avoid taxes that you would like. It doesn't change the fact that those mm-hmm. structures don't end easily. Um, or the fact that, you know, you can actually use this as very effective organizing tools, but if you don't have a, you know, serious, serious revolutionary movement that is independent, but also that is very dedicated to creating new forms of power, then, you know, these are only going to be effective in terms of sovereign regime change. They're not going to be effective in terms of transforming social relations and protecting that transformation. We have this kind of resurgence of leftism, right? Mm -hmm. But you actually don't get people talking in serious, serious intellectual ways about the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of, you know, obviously systemic oppression. We're moving towards a techno-fascism. Why don't we just hack these systems if our parliamentary democracy aren't working, right? Like, why are we waiting for Nancy Pelosi to make a law to get 10% of billionaires' money? Like, why don't we focus on, you know, finding ways to actually undermine this at its root, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that necessarily, like, that is the best way to construct a radical revolutionary movement. Mm -hmm. But what I am interested in is that it seems like your work is looking at the fact that in the absence of this at a political movement level, which is still very much in terms of a movement mentality of let's just take sovereign power, right? Mm -hmm. That it seems like people are kind of organically doing this in the workplace. Like they have no faith in the ability of like, I'll make a complaint and share this or organize in my workplace. It's like, this thing is surveilling me. I'm going to find ways to dismantle it and evade it, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of interested in that, if that's all right to to talk about. Yeah, I think what, um, to me, you know, the I think the, the current political environment and these kind of left and, uh, and maybe populist kind of challenges in the electoral arena are, are, are exciting and, and, and very interesting and, and certainly, you know, more encouraging than than anything that's happened in my life in 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 kind of yeah. uh, mainstream politics. But I, I think there is a limitation there. There's a, there there there's a, a problem there. Uh, and to me, um, you know, the the you, the the state is more than it's not something you just take control of and then and move it to uh, benefiting the people that 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 should be benefited. I think it's um, much more difficult. Um, and it's going to take a lot longer to make uh, the kind of, of big change that uh, that people see necessary, right? Uh, even if you know Bernie Sanders had had won it all, I think we would be in a very protracted, uh, you know, trench warfare to pass healthcare or something in the United States. So what Absolutely. I'm inter- yeah, so it's it's all, I almost say you know it's like a, it was an attempt to kind of speed run. Uh, uh, to socialism, right? Like have have this you know yeah, massive yeah. movement overnight, and and um and and it's it was you know it's I don't want to downplay it as 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 uh, mm. useless or pointless, but but I think you need you need something different. You need or you need more, right? You need something. And what I'm really interested in, again, this is you know comes from my my study of of, of Marxism. Really, is it you know the 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 site of the the site of, of of power of capitalism is not um, is not just the state; it's the workplace, right? Yeah. And, and and we need to think about how you're going to change. How we're going to ch- the the goal was always right is to um, 
seize seize the means, as they say, seize the means of production. Why? Because we need workers can run these things, can can operate, can you know, can do the things that 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 we need to kind of um, you know continue continue the society running or continue things running. Um, but in a different way, they are, they're the ones that have the know-how and they're also the ones that know the weak spots and, 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 uh, and those kinds of things. And I think the way you, you know, develop um, a kind, that kind of perspective, right, that, you know, plenty of people hate their bosses, plenty of people hate their jobs. Uh, and and those, kinds of, those kinds of sentiments, I think, are a great place to start. And they don't just have, a, they're not just a feeling that people have, right? There's things that people do. Um, they, uh, uh, they, they sabotage things or, or they figure out a way to carve out extra time for themselves. And the, the, there's a kind of kernel in these activities of, you know, both a better way of working, right? A better way of doing these things. Um, you know, maybe people should work less, right? Maybe people should, um, you know, uh, uh, have a different pace, right? Maybe people should have different kinds of, of satisfactions that they're, they're having to kind of get on the sly or, 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 or under the boss's nose that, that we can envision a very different kind of world of work in the future, in the kernel of these actions. But also I think these actions are the, 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 the basis for a kind of militancy, right? Part of the, the question that, you know, you, as, as you put it yourself, how do you keep these things going? Um, uh, so I think when you look at the kinds of everyday resistance that people uh, engage in, you're, you, you do see a vision of an alternative world of work. Uh, but I think also you see how the potential for developing a, a kind of militancy around, uh, around work uh, and around the economy in, more generally. If, if we're thinking about one of the challenges for um, kind of the, the, la the broad left is, is one of uh, sustaining these movements in the wake of defeats. And we'll, 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 we are sure to have defeats to come. Um, you know, continuing a kind of, uh, 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 kind of antagonistic perspective, developing and creating new kinds of practices, and then finding other people who are also doing these kinds of things, who are who are um, uh, breaking machines or hacking things or sabotaging, uh, you know, the surveillance software and all these kinds of little little practices. These are these are your these are your comrades, right? I, I don't know. Uh, I think yeah. if if anyone's had the experience of uh, you know of being at work and and doing something you weren't supposed to do, um, and and doing it with other people at work, there's a there's a strong bond you kind of forge there. Uh, and I think this is, to me, one of the, 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 the questions that I'm really interested in is, right, how do you develop a kind of sustained militancy around the workplace? And, you know, we have hmm. history to, to help us with this, right? We didn't always have, um, you know, strong trade. We arguably don't, do not have them today, uh, but we didn't always have, uh, we didn't always have formal organizations themselves, right? Um, we've, and even when we had strong trade unions, they weren't always quite, uh, quite militant or antagonistic. And you had other forms of organizations and other forms of militancy that develop on the margins of the official trade union movement. And even on the margins of, of, uh, the official socialist movements, 
in in some cases. Mm. Um, so uh, so these and to me those are the practices that even as the other stuff has been kind of um, chipped away at with you know the generations of 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 a kind of um, onslaught by uh, by capitalism in the state, you still you know so I you still have this kind of these kinds of um, oppositional militant practices that are constantly being formed, people experimenting with them, and sometimes developing into some something more sustained. Um, you know, this is, I think piracy might be one example of that, uh, that, that always remained inchoate, never sort of developed into like a, a real political or economic challenge, uh, uh, in a sustained way, but, but definitely left a mark on kind of social organization on, uh, on the general perspective towards, um, copyright and intellectual property and all these other kinds of effects. So these kinds of this, that's what I wanted to do in, in breaking things at work is I really wanted to say, what are, what are the kinds of things that people are not, not tell them what should they do, right? What will, you know, there's, there is a kind of discourse that says you, oh, so you've identified as a socialist. What does that mean? What should you do now? Um, I, I'm, I'm not as interested in that. I, what I want to say is have a very different um, approach, which is I want to say, what are, what are the worker, what are workers doing right now? What are the people who are being exploited? Um, engage, how are they resisting? How are they managing? Uh, and start from those kinds of practices mm. and, uh, and build that and think about how can we connect those practices, articulate in the, 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 the kind of jargon of, uh, that we like at, at Viewpoint. Um, how can you articulate those practices into, into something larger and more sustained? Right. And how can we actually, the people who are identifying as as anti-capitalists, what can we learn about, you know, what we can be doing? Um, where where is struggle actually taking place? Uh, and so that was kind of my approach mm. in in looking at this. And I saw that, you know, a lot of there, you know, there were a lot of people, uh, not just today, but throughout history, <laughs> the struggles were not uh, it did not take the form of you know, my job sucks, but, you know, once a socialist party is in power, it'll be fine. Um, people struggled against the, the, the very texture of the, their workplace. They struggled against the technologies and tools uh, that were increasingly mm. boxing them in, the way that labor processes had been structured to prevent them from exercising agency or connecting with their coworkers, right? They, those were the things they were resisting against. And so rather than technology being some kind of mm. neutral, oh, it's just how it's used, um, that's not really how people understood it, understand it in the workplace, right? They see it as a kind of antagonism. And I think, I think they are right uh, to see it in that way. Mm. Well, I think that's a very interesting point is that you talk about previously how there was this kind mm -hmm. of tech clash culture, but very many people... Um, not well. I would wonder how many actually know of this movement in general, but those who do would go back to saying we need to take on a more Luddite ideology. And I think that's because even among those who you know are aware of what this was, there might be a popular mythology around it, and it's mm -hmm. just anti-technological. So I wanted to give you a bit of space to say, okay, you know, all those things that you said, I think most of us would nod our heads and say absolutely. And then the next, you know, after the next sip at the drink, you you might say. So that's why I think we need to really take into account this kind of Luddite 
tradition and militancy. Mm -hmm. And I think people would say, oh, excuse me? So I wanted to give you some space to actually talk about what was this kind of Luddite movement? How has it been maybe misunderstood and how you think it actually really reflects a really potentially radical and positive force for reinvention now? Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. The popular understanding, the way the Luddite is used uh, as, as a kind of epithet is it's someone who's a, a, a technophobe. They, I, you know, I, they hate technology. They, they, maybe they hate civilization. They want to move to the woods or something like that, right? Um, and, and, and historically, that is, it's really not the case. Uh, you know, the, the historical Luddites were textile workers, uh, skilled uh, weavers and, and, and other kinds of occupations that were, that were making cloth, clothing, and those kinds of things uh, in the, the north and the midlands of England. And this is also where uh, they immediately, when uh, industrialization is happening, it really centers uh, to a large degree on textiles. Um, and so the weavers immediately understood that this was going to completely uh, destroy their livelihood. For one, these were, you know, these were skilled and, and fairly well compensated occupations. But in the new factories that had new kinds of machines, they would often employ women and children uh, in order to pay them as little as possible. Uh, so, so the Luddites uh, saw the machines, uh, not all machines, but specific machines as threatening their way of life. And they tried a variety of means to oppose this. Uh, you know, they would negotiate and they would negotiate over particular uh, factory arrangements and particular techniques of production. Um, they also offered new technologies, potentially, that would be rejected by uh, the capitalists. So they wanted mm. to introduce uh, a technology that would more accurately, they were often paid by the, by, uh, by the piece, um, and they wanted to incorporate a, a kind of technology that would more accurately count that. Uh, and they discovered the factory owners were not so enthusiastic about that specific technology. So what the Luddites were against was not machines in general. They used machines in their work. What they were against was what they called machines hurtful to commonality, right? Machines that would, mm. um, that would destroy, uh, not just would alter their labor process, but in doing so would actually destroy uh, both their occupations and their communities, right? This is the early 19th century. Um, there's no welfare state. Uh, the, the, the prevailing, um, you know, the kind of radical economics of the time is, is free markets, right? Um, that's, that's the kind of big experiment happening uh, uh, in Britain at the time, right? Uh, where you don't do it, you don't interfere within, with the economy at all. So if they lose their livelihoods, their entire communities will be decimated. People will starve. And in fact, that is what happened, right? Life expectancy uh, in, in, in the UK goes down uh, in the generation after industrialization, right? The idea that, um, that, that industrial production is just a kind of uh, continual upswing of living standards is absolutely not true. Uh, and it wasn't true f in, in particular for, for these people. Um, so, so their answer to this is a, 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 a militant struggle, right? Uh, where they attack machines, and they really focused on the, the owners of, who, were, who were quite hostile to any kind of negotiating. Um, 
and they they would smash uh, smash these um, uh, these gig mills and these other kinds of technology um, as a kind of revenge, uh, and also as a way to intimidate other um, other small factory owners. Many of the factories are rather small at the time. Uh, into uh, acceding to the Luddite demands. So you actually had cases where the, the Luddites would conduct this raid uh, in the middle of the night. They'd, they'd get into the factory. They'd smash a lot of the machines. Um, and then the next day, some of the other factory owners would say, you know what? Okay, we're going to, you know, the, we'll, we'll increase wages or we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll respond to some of the demands that you guys made um, and, and we'll work with you. And, uh, and um, it was only that uh, increasingly, um, as, especially as factories got larger and larger and people were much more heavily invested, uh, that they were really became intransigent. And that's when the, the, the kind of um, battles uh, where there was actually bloodshed uh, uh, started taking place. Um, so they, they were not opposed mm -hmm. to technology. The, what, they, what they were is they were critical, right? They said, look, you know, technology and the workplace has is embedded in a whole variety of social relations and those are valuable to us you know they we can we can come to let's take into account all of these things when we think about um, how we're going to manufacture these goods right let's come to some kind of accord there um, and uh, they were not heard so they had to res uh, resort to increasingly militant means um, uh, in order, um, to be heard. This is also a moment in, in British history where there are a variety of, of kind of uh, um, insurrectionary and underground movements happening. It was a very uh, uh, kind of strife-ridden mm -hmm. period, right? So the, the Luddites are kind of a part of that. But the, uh, the idea that they were a wholesale rejection of technology or wholesale rejection of modernity isn't true. And I think that's the, the thing that I want to take away from it is that, you know, by politicizing technology, it doesn't necessarily mean we reject it. Although maybe there are some things that we should reject. It means that we, we, we question it and we think about how might we alter it to better respond to the values that we have, right? If that might not always, you know, we know what uh, capitalists like to get out of technology. They like to make you work more. They like to make you work harder and they like you to dissent less. Um, and, and, and I think we see that in operation in a variety of, of, of kinds of technology, digital and otherwise. Um, but we have other values, right? Other things that we want to achieve. And, and it's not always, it, it isn't always tied to a kind of basic productivity stack. And that's, I think, what we can take out of the Luddites is that they, they had an entire kind of culture, a kind of, an entire kind of way of life um, that was connected. And they understood it to be connected to their, their methods of working. And they knew that if that changed in the way that it was changing, that everything would be destroyed. And in fact, they were correct. I mean, you had mass starvation in these uh, towns where um, where the existing uh, weaver guilds were were destroyed. Uh, you know, you had a very very dire, mm. uh, uh, tragic situations. Um, and so, um, so, so this is the kind of the, the what I take away from that, right? Is is it's we're we're about politicizing technology. We're not about wholesale adopt adopting it. Um, and we can also think about how technology doesn't have a telos. It doesn't have. A, a, it's not unidirectional. If we we can we can go back. 
to thing to to the way things were in to some extent in some ways right we can think about um, maybe if we've gone down a bad path we can stop and we can go back right uh, there's an idea I think that you know there's no um, putting the genie back in the bottle when it comes to technology and it's it's not the case it's not the case historically and I don't think it's the case now and so. Um, so actually, I encourage people to be Luddites, maybe not in a wholesale rejection of technology, but in, in the way that you're critical of it, you politicize technology, you think about how um, alternatives could be and you and you really uh, get away from a, this kind of mindset of, you know, there's an inexorable uh, uh, flow of technology and there's an, you know, uh, whether it's progress, which was a, a popular kind of narrative for, for a long time, or in our current moment, where it's a never-ending escalation of dystopia, uh, which is also a kind of, um, which also is its own kind of uh, telos, right? Um, that, and, and yeah, so this is, this is the, the kind of, the, the kind of jumping off point from my book is, oh, we'll start with the Luddites. Where else do we see these kinds of things happening, right? Where else do we see workers politicizing mm. technology, whether rhetorically, but also practically, uh, and what kind of, um, uh, who else, who was listening to them, right? The official socialist movement, right? If you look at, um, you know, the, the Social Democratic Party of Germany or even the Bolsheviks, right? They, they weren't very, tended not to be that critical of technology. Uh, so, so um, mm. but, but, but many other people were, right? Uh, many other uh, uh, Marxists and members of worker movements and workers themselves were. And so that's the kind of story I wanted to tell. I wanted to go to those voices and show how we, there's actually not only is there another way of looking at technology, there's another way of looking at the history of Marxism, the, another way of looking at the history of socialism, right? That yeah. I think that um, is important to, to carry mm -hmm. forth in our, in our current moment. Well, I, I think that, the, you know, really importantly, and, and it is true, I mean, and, and I've said this to others, I mean, that it's very interesting how radical revolutionary Marxist movements of the early 21st, 20th century. An unwritten part is this teleos of not just technology, but its productive capacity and a particular reading of Marx. So, I mean, you know, there's no denying that Lenin was a Taylorist and that had incredibly negative outcomes ultimately in terms of the types of things that the Bolsheviks ultimately did in terms of how they mm -hmm. thought about labor and value and work, right? Um, but I, I think it's really interesting what you say because it brings up what I think is, is one of the fundamental tensions that have only become more important now, which is that within Marxism, which is that on the one hand, you have an entire strain that occasionally gets more representation, but often is put to the side, which is this kind of valoration of actual labor and the ways in which people get frustrated with capitalism, not just because of its exploitation, because it takes away mm -hmm. the actual value of work itself, right? And, and I think in many ways you see this in terms of someone who I think did do this. I mean, though he, he probably wouldn't admit it, like Braverman fits within this kind of very, uh, how you described it, Luddite tradition, right? Like right. We're being de-skilled, right? Um, and then on the other hand, I think you have something that has become increasingly more popular, but has always kind of been there, which is, I would, I don't, I don't want to say utopian strain, but definitely a strain of, and then I have to admit, I find myself oftentimes more in this camp of what is a world in which we don't have to work, right? In which labor is completely voluntary. And 
I find I'd be interested because I think that your work kind of sits between those two things, which is in, in the one hand, from reading what you've done in the past, you don't valorize work and, and you don't sound like someone who is just kind of saying, you know, if only we could go back to a time in which, you know, everyone was a craftsman. But at the same time, it seems like this book is not just about politicization of technology, but a real attempt to get us to take a moment and say, what is the value of work in general? And when we talk about it, even from a leftist perspective, things like automation, what are we losing and so easily jettisoning this idea of a world in which we're yeah, essential that's, to us? I mean, you're right on. Uh, this is uh, the, a kind of very, uh, very much an animating question uh, in this work, right? I'm not a post-work person. I'm certainly not a, a, a fully automated luxury communist. Um, uh, in, in one, because I don't see automation as something that actually alleviates uh, work. Um, it's, 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 actually, it's, it's a much more complicated tale. Um, but I think that I do see myself more aligned with, um, with, with, with Braverman. And, and then there's other people, uh, uh, William Morris, right? Um, who uh, he was in the, basically the generation after Marx, uh, an early, not just British socialist, British socialism has a longer history, longer than Marx even, but, um, uh, but, but one of the er first people to, that was a, a serious reader of Marx, right? Um, and he was, he was a craftsperson. Uh, and, and I think there are some, some, some problematic uh, elements of his thought that are colored by that experience. But he thought he had this idea of like what people want is not, they want worthy work, right? Um, and to me, this is like a, a, something that I think is really compelling. Um, even something that I see in, in, in pirates and digital cultures is people like to feel like they're, what they do matters uh, and that they have skills that are, that are valued and important and, and contribute. Um, and they, you certainly don't get that in most occupations these days, even occupations classified as, as skilled. Uh, and I think one reason, not only that, not, it's not only a kind of appeal to, uh, to a, this kind of effective um, perspective that a lot of people have, but I think there's also a kind of, uh, a, um, you know, political one, right? We're looking at a world, right? So imagine, let's imagine, let's do a, a kind of, we're, we have the, the control of everything, right? Now we can make our perfect, um, you know, uh, our perfect socialist or communist society. What does it look like? Do, do we all sit around and, and, you know, hang out on the couch and, and play Xbox or something? Um, I, I don't think so, right? I, I don't know if that's desirable, but I, I, I'm sure it's not possible. Uh, you know, we need, we need, at the very least, and, and this is this is something that I get out of um, uh, uh, the socialist feminism, which is actually um, one of the great uh, tech critical uh, intellectual bodies of intellectual thought. Right, comes out of Marxist feminism, um, is that mm. care is not going to go away. We're going to need to care for each other. We're going to need to take care of the young. We're going to need to take care of the old. Um, we're going to have to grow food. We're going to have to do many, many things, right? Uh, we can do them in different ways, but the, the, the necessity of that work is not going to go away. And I think that there's something that, 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 that creating a kind of bonds of solidarity, uh, a, a less um, atomistic kind of society 
you know, a less alienating society where we feel more connected to other people, uh, care and caring for one another, the work of caring for one another uh, is, is uh, potentially the t that tie to each other, right? The bonds of, of uh, that, we, that we are social mm. beings. Um, so, um, mm. you, know, that doesn't, uh, you know, that doesn't mean we can't do a lot less work overall, and I think we should. The other thing is we have to deal with the fact that we have a massive ecological crisis and under any kind of, of uh, government or economy is going to take quite a lot of work to fix. Right. I think there's a lot of work that's done now. Right. Uh, that is is totally pointless and can be done away with. And I think most people work much too often. But I don't think a future society is going to be a work free society. I think it's going to be a we're going to be a, we would do a different kind of work uh, and hopefully a work that would look very different from the very kind of alienating uh, uh, and oppressive uh, forms of work that many people have to engage in today. Um, and, but I don't, and I don't think we're going to be able to really have a serious conversation about that if we're focusing so much on how machines are going to do everything for us. I think the other problem with that is if the origin of kind of these emancipatory politics starts at work. And if you're, if you're celebrating the very technologies that are either throwing people out of work or disempowering them at work, you're kind of cutting yourself off at the knees. Uh, so, so these, this is the, these are the people that we need to, to, to create a new society. Um, we don't want to make their situation worse or more scattered mm. uh, or celebrate that or embrace that. Ab Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that is really important is to move beyond questions of work or post-work, mm -hmm. because for all the reasons that you've said, and move instead towards lack or abundance. Do we live in a society in which you know, you're working out of, you know, actually feeling as if things are a matter of abundance or out of desperation. Um, but I think that also brings me to something that, you know, you, you mm -hmm. talked about the textures of everyday life of work. And if I could just ask, like, you know, and, I, and I'm sure you probably talk about this in the book, so I apologize. So this is just, you know, a space for you. But I think a lot of people who are interested in this do talk about, okay, well, how do we, you know, hack or dismantle, you know, the everyday oppressions of work, right? Um, but for a lot of people actually in these, it's not so much that they want to, you know, get rid of these technologies or undermine the boss. It's that in actuality, capitalist technology mm -hmm. doesn't really work well. I mean, for listeners now, just think about how many times have you thought to yourself, why am I using six platforms mm -hmm. in my organization? Yeah. Like none of this makes sense. Or the scheduler's broken again, or if I'm a precarious worker, they sent me to the wrong delivery, these types of things. So there's this really interesting point in which, on the one hand, we feel that technology is very colonizing and that there's a point in which we have to exactly, as you said, on this kind of front line, see this as a struggle for control, ownership, and the types of society in which we want to live. But on the other hand, understand that a lot of this seems to also revolve around the fact that people are actually interested in creating technology that delivers better value and whether that's capitalist or socialist, but at the end of the day that there seems to be a lot of ways in which it's almost like they're relying on our work to fix their technology. And I wonder how that becomes more politicized and militized because it seems like a lot of people, they don't really see it as a militant thing. It's just, I have to get this done. None of the technology that they're forcing me to use works. So off on my own way. Yeah. I, you know, I always, it's a, a like a little kind of uh, pithy, uh, 
sort of response to people talking who talk about um, automation and new technology alleviating burdens. It's, it's, you know, when, when, think about when your job introduced a new piece of technology, did you feel like it gave you less work or more work? I think most, when I asked people that question, almost everyone's like, yeah, it was terrible. I hated it. Right. Um, and yeah, I, you know, actually, this is yeah. something I don't get too into in the book, but, but I think might be, uh, uh, you know, a kind of course of, of study after it or, or a, a project to come after, which is, you know, how do these kinds of techniques and struggles potentially lead to uh, a, a very different uh, understanding of technology and, and, and a very different approach to doing it. You have experiments, right, with um, sort of community-based technologies. Uh, uh, Virginia Eubanks uh, has, has a book on this, although she comes to, she's not very satisfied with how it played out. Um, you have very interesting experiments happening um, around um, in, uh, uh, around sort of civic uses of, of big data, um, uh, in, in Barcelona, uh, and, and, and in Catalonia more generally, right? Um, very, very small scale kinds of things. I'm a little, you know, I, I, some of that I find encouraging. Um, and, and it's something that's certainly worth considering. But I think that, um, one interest that I have, uh, at least in this moment in time and, 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 and reflected in, in, in this book is that, um, you know, it's it's fine to think about the world we want. It's fine to engage in utopia. But I think uh, there's another project that has to happen, right? Which is we really need to have a, a very clear understanding of contemporary circumstances, right? Um, people always use the the saying, "It's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism," right? And and we need more utopian thinking. This is a particularly popular. Um, kind of notion in academia because you know we're intellectual workers and we're offering we're coming up with ideas right um, and we want to think that those ideas are important um, and but I think that you know what is really you know I don't want to downplay that stuff but I, I think that maybe another there's something else to emphasize which is we need to really uh, understand the situation that people are in right now um, the situation of 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 how the world works right now. Um, and, and how technologies actually operate um, in the current moment. Um, if we're going to make any kind of uh, sort of serious challenge there. And that's another reason I think to look at, the, at what people are doing at work with them is because those are the people that really do much more so than even you know, the, the companies that design and sell them have the real experience with, with how these systems work and, and what's wrong with them. Um, and and how you might struggle around them. So um, yeah, so I I, uh, I mean it's a great mm. question um, and something to to keep in mind. It's a little bit um, maybe something I want to think about more a little bit more down the road. Um, my my main my, I think the main problem that yeah. I want to address is how to kind of develop um, a, a kind of a, a, you know a, a, a widespread not just um, uh, dissatisfaction, but to turn dissatisfaction into a kind of militant, into forms of militant political practice uh, in the current moment. And I think that technology uh, is, 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 uh, has a lot of potential to, to, to provoke uh, that kind of activity. If we can start recognizing it, acknowledging it, discussing mm -hmm. it, organizing it, and so on. So I, I think, you know, 
the last kind of question that I wanted to mm-hmm. explore, and I hope it's all right because it's a bit of a broader one. I mean, what you've been saying is so insightful and outstanding. It is, you know, I've noticed this thing, and, and I kind of bring this because we've talked a little bit more about the kind of rigorous work you've done, but you also are someone who's very aware of like political currents. And one of the dangers that I have had uh, personally about things like automation isn't just all the things that you've said, but it's also about, you know, and, and I'll admit this as someone who is probably much more oftentimes in a kind of techno-optimism mm-hmm. post-war camp than others, potentially. Uh, it's the fact that if you look at the actual struggles that are dismantling our imperialist system, our capitalist system, they are exactly happening in those areas mm-hmm. that can't be fully automated. So, for instance, if you look at, you know, what's going on in terms of the ones that had the most effect on you know reducing our military imprint from a global colonial point of view it was you know developers who were having to work mm-hmm. on the drone technology who said we're not going to do this right like and at this point uh, there's a reason that they want to automate the writing of code and things like that because you know they they fear human creatives right they fear the ways in which we need to rely on them mm-hmm. for the reproduction of our system and I bring that up because it's kind of an under under ex- highlighted point that actually underneath a lot of this kind of rise to the left is a really strong militant worker, I would say, consciousness that's happening and one that's becoming more international about saying, wait a minute, if this technology is being used for this, I don't want any part of it. And you need us. We don't yeah. need you. Right. And I'm wondering in this sense, how you think that may, how, if you agree that this is something that's, you know, that when we talk about automation, we have to be careful because that is a political project in itself to stop, you know, a a proletarian class that is willing to dismantle the system in this way. But also, you know, you've talked about some of the encouraging parts about this kind of rise of a social democratic left. You've seen the ways that when this has happened, there's been a lot of uncomfortability with it because that's something that is almost like a radicality too far. Now I'm wondering how you see this relationship between kind of an everyday worker militancy and one that can really on the kind of, you know, thing to say, we're not making technology for drones that's going to kill innocent civilians, you know, or contribute to digital stretch ops. And a left that's starting to emerge that is starting to formulate a democratic socialist yeah, agenda. I, mean, I think uh, the, the kind of uh, refusal to participate, right, um, is is ex- extremely interesting. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, and in some ways, right, it's, it really does echo that idea of the Luddites, right? This is, these are machines hurtful to commonality, right? These are machines for, for killing, for, for creating more war, for, for advancing uh, uh, imperialism, right? Um, and, and the fact that, that people making them are recognizing this and refusing is great. It's also, you know, something that has happened in the past, right? We had uh, uh, during the, the, the anti-war movement in the 1960s, right? You had um, science, uh, you know, science for the people and, and computer people for peace and all these um, uh, very similar kinds of, of movements. In fact, they revived science for the people as a publication recently. Uh, it was a kind of recogni- recognition, right? That, that, that oh. uh, people <laughs> who are working for tech companies have something in common with this, this past moment, right? Um, I think the question will be one of, you know, Will this lead to maybe a more democratic uh, environment within the tech companies where if you're an engineer, you can have some say over what not just 
you know, a veto power and say, we're not going to do this. We're just going to work on ad tech or something, uh, but, but to do something completely different. Right. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, I know people that work in the industry and there's, there's dissatisfaction up and down, um, that people inc increasingly feel, uh, and then again, this is like yeah. a post 2016 thing. People feel, uh, that maybe they, their industry has contributed to these kind of, uh, the rise of right-wing populism and these kinds of things. Um, but will this transfer to actually democratic control over these companies? That's harder to envision. One thing that I think yeah. is really encouraging is uh, you have these kind of formations like the Tech Worker Coalition um, and, and, and uh, some, some kind of uh, working groups within the DSA as well um, that are, are interested not in just kind of um, advancing the interests of these uh, of, of, of programmers and coders, but are really interested also in forging connections to the other kinds of workers who make these workplaces run, right? The people who work in the cafeterias or who, who do the janitorial work, right? The, the work of, you know, social reproduction that happens in these companies, you know, that, that makes it possible for these uh, uh, engineers to, to, you know, work 60 hour weeks uh, and, 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 and eat and sleep in, in, in the office and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's a step that would, you know, you could see that as a step forward to a more democratizing kind of, of company. It'll be extremely challenging though. I mean, these are, these are very wealthy companies. Um, you know, they're, 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 they have powerful political allies. Um, they're a major source of the value, the current value of the stock market. So, so, so changing that situation means you have very powerful enemies coming against you. And I think a really democratizing hmm. um, the, the, these kinds of tech companies um, will, would, would take a variety of initiatives, right? Both at the level of of um, you know, kind of these this worker militancy and 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 um, you know in the quote unquote shop floor, but also things like passing regulations, potentially breaking up um, some of the monopolies, uh, introducing regulations on on privacy uh, and, and and other kinds of things. Um, it would have to be something that you would attack at at many different you know root and branch kind of uh, kind of thing. Uh, you know. Because I prioritize, you know, the, 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 the resistance at, at work, it doesn't mean I want to discount these other things. It means that like, like, you know, having sympathetic politicians or, or, or passing some, you know, reformist re regulations or something like that. Um, you know, we have to recognize that, you know, if you're, if you're on the left, we're, we're not in a good place. We're not, you know, things are more encouraging than they have been in a long time. And yet we're, we, you can't say we're winning, right? Um, you know, we're, we're in a very, very uh, a deep hole that we're only starting to dig ourselves out of. So I'm, I'm very kind of ecumenical when it comes to strategies and tactics for, mm -hmm. for overall social transformation. But I, I also am, am fairly partisan on, on ingredients that I want to see there, right? I don't, if we're, we spend all our time, you know, on elections and, yes. and passing uh, uh, regulations uh, within the current state apparatus, I think we're going to find we're going to run into limitations uh, very quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think um, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously encouraged uh, by um, by what we see happening in the tech companies, the the ways that people are refusing um, to engage in certain activities, the overall kind of political orientation of the people of these companies. I mean, there was a, not until fairly recently, this is, mm. and, and you still find quite a lot of it, 
Um, um, you know, this was like a source of sort of uh, libertarian uh, pro-capitalist viewpoints, right? Um, uh, so, um, you know, that's mm. something I've, I've written about as well. Um, but the fact that you have a lot of people really uh, changing th their their perspective on this, I think, is is um, is, is useful and important. Um, and and also, those people might be well positioned to um, to engage in their own forms of kind of uh, uh, more antagonistic or even destructive forms of militancy. We'll see if it gets there. It certainly got there uh, in the '60s and '70s. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a long way to go to to really establish mm. that kind of perspective where people are really sticking their necks out in a, in a big way. Um, I mean, point to a few examples, but um, um, uh, it's, you know, uh, people, it's difficult, right? You know, especially these times, people are scared, people are uh, don't feel secure, um, mm. and, and uh, it's harder to engage in risky actions in, mm. in, in that kind of situation. Absolutely. I mean, so I asked this as the last question to all my guests, but it, it, which is, you know, what is another world is, that you could imagine? But I think that in a sense, you know, I was going to ask you something different and I hope um, it's all right because, you know, you represent, I think, a very beautiful, if I can use that word, uh, type of ways in which we can think beyond utopianism and dystopianism. So I want to leave the last word to you, which is in the sense of something that, you know, and, and, I, and I think sometimes I, I can just share my own tensions and, so when I say I always learn from you, like, you know, I, I do when I read your work, is that I, as someone who studies technology and studies its history, understands the temporalities that it brings when it talks about, you know, we feel like there's this change that we can't question and it's so rapid. And you've even spoke about so far in this interview, kind of, you know, hinted at yeah. the fact that like, you know, we can go backwards, you know. And you also said something that I think is really important that I think, you know, for those who are interested in this kind of multi-level movement that we're starting to develop again, you know, that, you know, socialism doesn't happen overnight. Transformation doesn't happen overnight. And yet I can also understand the ways in which many of us feel like, well, that's excellent, but, mm -hmm. you know, we could be in a climate apocalypse in 15 years. Um, we, you know, uh, how long is our even vestiges of liberal sure. democracy going to last, let alone something more democratic? Um, also, you know, just, just a real sense mm -hmm. in people's everyday lives, like I could lose my job at any time. And I think technology problematically, you know, has a fantasy element, like that there's a technological solution, but it is something in which does point to this tension between how do we balance between a politics that is more reflective, does try to slow down, doesn't try to make everything inevitable, with what I think are actually realistic concerns about the fact that we're running out of time for many of these things. So I kind of want to leave, instead of talking about utopia and ability, you know, how do you balance in your own work? Because I know this is uh, things that, you know, I believe your work. Yeah, you know, I think, which I mean, on. I, I, I see your point ab absolutely, right? The, 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 you know, we have a massive task and yet there's this uh, incredible sense of urgency, right? Uh, things are maybe even spiraling out of control. Uh, um, I, I think, you know, one... Uh, that's why actually I, I like to posit, you know, again, as a, against a kind of accelerationism, what if we decelerate it, right? Um, and what, what, is, what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm actually encouraged by yeah. a lot of developments uh, that I'm only beginning to learn about, but I, but I am I'm, um, fairly excited about um, coming out of uh, uh, ecological politics and, and things like that, uh, such as degrowth, right? So rather, you know, how are we going to solve this? I mean, one way to, to solve... Um, 
a, a climate apocalypse, I mean, we have to we have to slow things down. We have to consume fewer fossil fuels. Uh, we have to um, ha not have everything, um, you know, all these uh, servers going uh, at full capacity all the time, you know, crunching data. Um, does that mean we have to, you know, in impose a kind of scarcity or austerity on ourselves? Well, I don't necessarily think that's the case. But I think one, so one thing I think about and one thing that, that degrowth um, prioritizes is it, you know, the, there's a quality of life that can come with uh, less, you know, less, less stuff, less production, less work. Um, what if we all cut, had our hours cut in half, not to give work, more work to everyone, although that's uh, something that people talk about and, and, and it's kind of interesting to me as well, uh, but just so that we just worked less, produced less and, and did less and, and had more time to spend um, on one another, right? On doing the things that everyone says uh, is the most important thing to them. Um, you could start uh, actually uh, solving some of these other issues, right? Um, would so I'm I'm really encouraged by um, the things that I've been reading coming out of uh, uh, the degrowth movement um, and thinking about um, you know I also connect it to um, uh, uh, Kristen Ross had this book on the Paris Commune a few years ago called Communal Luxury and I I really think that was pitched. Um, the title of the book and the concept was pitched against uh, luxury communism. It was not, you know, was, she, she flips it, right? Communal luxury is, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's luxury, it's enjoyment. It's, um, it's all those things that we, that we want. Um, but, uh, but it's a different, uh, it, it takes a different form, right? I want to get away from a radical politics that is, you know, that, that seems wedded to the very forms of value that are existing capitalism, you know, of, of efficiency and, and accumulation, uh, and to a, a different kind of values and different kinds of social relations. To me, that was always kind of the animating force of, of radical politics, was, was this uh, a, a very different kind of world. And of course, to have, uh, uh, you know, the a world that doesn't fall into sort of a, a, a dystopia or apocalypse, right? We'll need to have, um, you know, interesting, useful and, 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 and new uh, technologies. But I also think there's a lot to be said for, for rolling things back. Uh, some estimates say that if we can get down to the level of um, accumulation and consumption of the 60s or 1960s or 1970s, uh, you know, that might be enough. Um, and I think that that seems that I, I, I love that because it seems um, I didn't live during that time, although I like a lot of music from that time and, and other things from that time. Um, so it's there's an appeal there because it also it doesn't seem so remote. It doesn't seem so impossible. Right. Um, is that going to simply are we going to simply go back to the. No, I don't mm. think we will or we can. But that does mean that maybe certain things that we have today we don't need or we don't want or we don't. You know, we can we can we can do without, right? If we can have mm -hmm. a w a way of life where we have more of the mm -hmm. things that that are actually important to us, more time to enjoy those things and to do things with other people, then I think we wouldn't miss a lot of um, the sort of crap uh, that surrounds our life. Just, I'm not trying to reach for a, an easy anti-consumerism, but I'm also trying to push against a kind of uh, sort of leftist consumerism that 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 sees. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, you know that envisions luxury as a, as the exact same as 
thing as a kind of accumulation that happens with capitalism, just more democratically applied. Um, so that's to me is, is I think what is encouraging to me and, and the kind of things that we can think about because, uh, you know, it's going to take some time and experiments and it might not work out to come up with, for instance, viable carbon sequestration technologies uh, or, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, global transportation or, or new forms of renewable energy that, that work in, in all the situations where we use fossil fuels now. But what seems more achievable is, well, can we just reduce and roll back um, at, while at the same time redistributing uh, and, 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 and having a very different approach to how we do uh, things like economic development in less developed areas. Then, I mean, then I think we have, uh, we have reframed the problem in a way that's, uh, that's both, I think, uh, more connected to, to the kind of themes of, that I explore in my work, but also to me seems uh, more realistic, actually, and more achievable and, and gives me actually a kind of, a kind of optimism. I no, I and I think that's a be an incredible kind of inspiring place to end because I think that you're right. I mean, I think that we're not going to be able to change the world by simply trying to remake it in its mm -hmm. own image, right? So, absolutely. Um, and and I think that you know, there's a really strong ways in which we can all take a breath and think about you know, what are the directions that we'd want to go, and what is the lifestyles that actually are conducive to our Right. So absolutely. Thank you so much, Gavin. It's been incredible to have you on. Another World is well, possible. Thank you so much, Peter. Uh, it was a pleasure part. to talk so to you, you. And, uh, and, and, and speaking with someone so complimentary of my work, uh, you, you really had me blushing. So, uh, so thank you for, for sharing your time with me and for following my, my work. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Another World is Potable. My name is Peter Bloom, and remember until next time, Another World is not only possible, but happening right now. <laughs>